lately I've been reflecting a lot about inner beauty. And uh, it came up most poignantly when I visited an elderly friend of mine just before we came on this last trip. Uh, uh, This is the last retreat of three retreats that Steve and I are doing kind of back-to-back. And every time I leave our home of Maui, I try to give her a visit because she's 96 years old, 95, 96, and I, I just never know if I'll see her again when I get back from my trip. So just remembering all the times that she helped me get settled when I went to Maui with my three children, all kind of toddlers, and I was a single parent, her generosity of getting me started on the island and uh, actually helping uh, all of my children through college, sending me a check every month when two of the three of them went to college. Her generosity, the life that she led was one of really trying to be in harmony as much as she could with everyone. She had a lot of compassion for the various people she came across in her life. She was committed to being as loving as she could be. And she had a lot of wisdom coming from her own Christian tradition. And so when I met her, I remembered that uh, I was really in my late 20s, early 30s. She was in her 60s. And now she's in her 90s. And I'm in my 60s. And I wonder, where did life go? It just passed by so quickly. And in between then and now, a lot of waters have gone under the bridge. A lot of teachings have been imparted from herself to me. And I've just had a lot of appreciation for her. What I notice most about her is her inner beauty. Because now she's confined to a bed, to a wheelchair when she does get out of bed. Her skin doesn't have the elasticity. It gets easily bruised just from kind of holding tightly onto her when she might fall. Bruises get on her arm. She can't remember much about the past, and even the the present moment's kind of confusing to her. But still, she has that place in her heart of when I'm there. It comes out, that beauty in her heart that asks me, have you had some food to eat? Do you need some water? Would you like another pillow when I'm sitting on the couch next to her bed? These qualities of inner beauty just shine through that body, which is kind of dilapidated now. And so I remember so much. My my mother passed away a few years ago. And I remember those qualities about my mother, of course. And so now that I'm at the age I'm at, I start to think, what's really important in my life? Um, About what's really important about developing my own heart and training the mind. So being around elders like this in my life is very poignant nowadays, especially those who have taken great care around their speech and around their behavior. They're um, kind of silent mentors to me. Some of them, because I come from a 
Filipino background. Some of them can't even speak English very well. My mother herself only went through the fourth grade of elementary school. But the beauty of her heart and the beauty of the elders that I'm around just really shine through. They're a beacon of light to me. So that inner beauty, that glow of and strength of one's uh, inner beauty is something that's really important to me. And a lot of people in our age group, there are many of people here in that particular age group, uh, 50, 60 and above. And even if you're young, I think we just have so much more contact with the world in this electronic and informational age that we live in that we see it more all around us, old age, sickness, and death. And maybe it really opens our hearts, perhaps, and uh, it it would be wonderful if it did open our hearts even more so to the importance of developing this inner beauty. In the Pali language, that ancient language that the Buddha's teachings were recorded in, There are these virtuous qualities that are inner beauty, that are these inner beauty uh, qualities that create harmony within us and all around us. And these qualities are called paramis. So I want to speak a little about them uh, this evening. Paramis is that Pali word that's roughly translated as perfections of character. Perfections of character. So I'm going to name uh, all of them, and we'll be talking more about them through the course of this retreat. The first one is generosity. The second is morality, or living in harmony, which is what my talk is mostly about. The third is renunciation. Then there is effort, and we like to make sure that we're calling it balanced effort. The fifth is wisdom and then truthfulness. The seventh and eighth are resolution and goodwill, this goodwill that is metta, loving-kindness, which we'll be practicing in the evenings, in the afternoons, I mean 345. And then there is equanimity and patience as the ninth and the tenth paramis. So these are qualities of human beings who have this inner beauty, who have developed this inner beauty, This is a shining grace of life. No matter what conditions are happening outside of ourselves, in our family, in our community, in the world, the light of these virtues is a beautiful gift that we can give to others and indeed that we give to ourselves because it makes our hearts at peace. It gives us a great deal of calm, of restfulness in our lives, in our hearts. If we decide to consciously develop them and not just wait willy-nilly for them to come around, they have even greater strength because of the strong intention and the clear intention to really develop these qualities in our lives. Usually we look for happiness in persons and things, in situations outside of ourselves, in conditions that we can't really control. But we do have a great deal of power over how these qualities are developed in our own hearts simply by our 
clear intention to turn the mind and the heart there to cultivating, developing them. They're an unending source of happiness for ourselves and others, of course, and an unending source of a very deep stability that we feel in our lives, right here in our own bodies, in our own minds. A great feeling of inner safety for ourselves. And of course, if people know that we're ardently and sincerely concerned and care for the development of these qualities within us, people feel safe around us. These paramis are generic to cultures and religions that value harmony. They don't even have to be religious. One person called actually the Buddhist teaching common sense, but it's not just common sense per se, it's advanced common sense, because it's really looking at what helps us to be in life in a way that creates more peace inside and outside. How can we activate this inner beauty really consciously? And how can we deactivate those qualities that go against these inner, this inner beauty? Qualities like ill will, like clinging, like really uh, being not caring, ignoring what causes harm to others, and just not going there, not paying attention to that. So this word parami, usually translated as perfection. The deeper meaning comes from the root word param, param. It means to carry one across to the further shore, to carry one across the ups and downs of life, the praise and blame, the gain and loss, the fame and disrepute, the joy and sorrow, these eight uh, conditions of life ups and downs of life, carrying us to the other shore. The other shore meaning liberation, being liberated from the suffering that these bring in our lives. The second word that we might look at, the second root word, is the word parama. parama. You'll hear this from the word paramount, paramount, of utmost importance. What is of utmost importance to us, of foremost importance to us in formulating our lives? What's so beautiful about a retreat like this is we really take the time to understand, to acknowledge, to realize, and to deepen what is of utmost importance, foremost importance in our lives because we're not being distracted by our to-do list or by other things that are important to us in our lives, helping others, sharing ourselves with others. But we can become so busy that we don't even take the time to reflect, to see what's going on in our own hearts and our minds, to know that some things that that go on, these habitual patterns, they cause us a lot of suffering by just seeing them come up over and over again. They're unchecked patterns of our minds and hearts. And then not only that, they not only cause us harm when they come to us and affect our hearts, but when they come out of our mouths, it comes out of our mouths or out of our actions, it causes harm to others. 
So here we have a great deal of time. We have this, a certain amount of stillness, a certain amount of silence that helps us reflect on this, to see this, to really see clearly. People ask when they first come to a retreat like this, why the heck is the schedule set up that way? You know, sit and walk and sit and walk and eat once in a while and hear a Dharma talk. And it's all about seeing what causes harm and relinquishing from that, seeing what causes harmony and developing that. And this is the basis for freedom. So this is why we take these retreats in silence and we have a great amount of stillness so that we can see more clearly what is really going on. What is of foremost importance to us that will really carry us across to the other shore? It could be to the other shore of liberation or it could be to upon death. What will carry us through our death and to wherever we think or imagine or understand that we will go after that. So this inner beauty doesn't depend on any outer conditions like our physical uh, appearance, like how much money we have in the bank or how many properties we own, our education, our social or career status. It doesn't depend on how many degrees we have or how many books we've read or our world of any other worldly accomplishments or possessions. It doesn't depend on someone or some other power outside of ourselves just kind of waving a magic wand or imbuing it, giving it to us. It really depends on our own development and where we turn and incline our minds and hearts. It really depends on us as this 95, 96-year-old friend of mine said, it's really an inside job. It's something that we have to do for ourselves. So it's only by our own intention, our own resolve, conscious energy, developing these strengths for ourselves, really looking at them. In a silent retreat like this, we notice that as well as we notice the the places of our hearts that really bother us, that really cause us kind of an inner shakiness, an inner stability. We come to notice those places that really uh, give us a stability inwardly. And this is really important. And when we notice the places that aren't there, we can consciously incline the mind there. For example, in the afternoons at 3.45, we're going to be consciously inclining our minds in the first few days to loving-kindness or to metta. And uh, later on, after we've developed that, we're going to consciously develop inclining the, minds, inclining the mind towards equanimity. So tonight, the emphasis, though, is on the parami called sila, or virtue. Last night... Steve started with the quality of generosity. And I wanted to go back to that, what he read that uh, our grandfather teacher, Mahasi Sayadaw, wrote and is uh, kind of um, in, a, in a plaque when you enter that monastery in Burma. He called it um, 
uh, a kind of Dharma admonition, but to rename it, Steve named it, Encouraging Counsel, where he said in the very beginning, do good deeds, avoid causing harm, purify your mind. The good deeds, generosity, what Steve spoke about last night. Avoid causing harm. This is in regards to the precepts that we take every morning. Purify the mind. This is in regards to the practice of vipassana that uh, mainly is, is the practice here that we do in this retreat. These are the teachings of the Buddha. It is generosity that one can rely upon for one's happiness, wealth, and humanity. Living in harmony, too, which is sila, is a real refuge in that it makes one pleasing, delightful, and free from destructive states of mind. So we just wanted to follow along with with that theme. So one of the characteristics of sila, or virtuous conduct and virtuous speech, is harmonizing. When you look sila up, or virtue up, in the Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, it said the characteristic of sila is harmonizing. Living in harmony with one's highest inner values. That's what it means, if you want to fill that out. In life, it's, it's sad to say, because we live a busy life too, even those of us who share the Dharma. Um, we're busy, you know, flying here and there and doing our work, making the Dharma talks, talking to yogis here and there, uh, connecting with our own families in a way that develops our own heart and can share a modeling of the Dharma as much as we can. But there's not as much time unless we take our own time for retreat, and every one of us do that. All three of us here, it's very important to us to take time every year, at least a month or maybe more, to take some silent time to reflect and see what living in harmony with one's highest inner values, what does that really mean? When I wasn't in the Dharma many years ago, I didn't have time to reflect on that. And even when I came to the Dharma to take silent retreats one time uh, or two times a year, take a nine-day retreat, even then the mind was so busy just letting go of the things that filled the mind during one's life that was really, really hard to see and to reflect on what really are my highest inner values And to be in harmony, one of the characteristics is also to be in harmony with the highest values of the community we live in. When we come to a retreat like this, we we feel most heavily the times when we've we've broken the values or we've uh, broken with the community that we live in somehow because we feel that somehow we have um, a kind of not respected the trust that people had in us. And so this comes up a lot in our practice, and we have time to reflect on that here. It's said that the kind of conduct that this is, the being in harmony with ourselves, being in harmony with others, composes the mind. Composes the mind. This is 
one of the um, actions of this sila. It composes the mind. It makes it easily quiet. So those of you who have been coming to retreats for quite a while now, you can see that when your life before you've come to retreat has been one of harmony, you come in, you sit down, and it just feels like um, it easily goes into an inner quietness. There's not a whole lot to let go of. There's not a whole lot of remorse, which is good. Remorse is a good thing, but it still makes the mind unstable. We think about, we reflect on, we go over and over things in our minds, which is a good thing, but the mind isn't so calm then. In a still and quiet mind, there are far-reaching possibilities. And that's why it's so important to be in harmony with our inner values, to be in harmony with the values of the community we live in. Because when we come to a place where we can be really, really quiet, there's a possibility to see more deeply into the truth of life when we're not just going over and over in our minds about what just has happened or how we can lead, um, go out in life and planning for a better life, which is all good. It's just that it doesn't leave that kind of unveiledness in our hearts so that we can really see deeply what's going on. We can come to the deepest truths of life. So we can see and experience things as they are, uh, the truth of life. Usually when the Buddha was invited to offer teachings to a community, he would begin with the, the understanding of dana, of generosity. And that's why we're, we're offering the retreat in this very traditional way, the way our teachers have offered it to us, giving teachings on dana, then giving teachings on sila, this uh, living in harmony or virtuous conduct and speech. Because it's so important to um, create, to develop, to cultivate, and then to maintain this very fertile ground from which deep wisdom can arise. Because without this, it's, it's very, very difficult. And uh, people who who even in retrospect have said, oh, they understood the Dharma kind of more intellectually and real, and probably thought they say, they said realize the Dharma. In fact, had to go back and re-understand and relive out this deep cultivation of sila and understanding how to let go through generosity. So if we don't develop this and give it importance first, at some point it's going to haunt us, even if we think we have deep understandings about the Dharma and about realization. So this gives us very uh, conscious time to reflect on it. And indeed, in the Dharma in the world today, all of us can see that this, these areas of dana and sila definitely need more airtime. It's, it's not just all about developing the mind, learning, uh, learning meditation, concentration, and the, the mindfulness of vipassana. But to develop these things 
also are hugely important in our lives. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life when I just knew because of the fact that I was acting in an opposite way of uh, sila, I just knew I had to clean up my act. When I would recite the precepts, I would you know, kind of cringe and say, oh, that one needs a little more work, needs a little more attention. And so turning the mind there, turning the intention and the energy there, sometimes for a year, sometimes even feeling like, okay, I did that, but I can refine it even more. There was one time when um, I really realized, and still do, that I could be more um, refined in my speech, not just being um, saying things that are truthful, but saying things that are more precisely truthful. Just in a little way, like saying, sometimes we say, oh, there were a lot of people there, instead of saying, you know, giving the impression that a lot of people showed up for a retreat, but saying, oh yeah, there were several people that came to the retreat. Just being more refined in how we speak. Because as one of our teachers said, Sayada Upandita, how can you realize the truth if you cannot speak the truth? You really need to be able to not just speak the truth generally, but in a refined way. And we got this lesson once when um, I went to a retreat and people were talking about their practice, saying that, oh, they could sit and be with their breath for long periods of time, which isn't the point anyway, or (laughs) saying that no defilements came up in their mind. And this was like after only one day had passed of a month-long retreat. So at the Dharma talk that evening, uh, our teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, said, if you have not been truthful in relaying your practice to me, I would like you to line up at the door tomorrow morning and tell me that you have not been truthful and make uh, an intention that you will be truthful. He said, you know, as our monastic teachers would. They would say, I want you to ask for forgiveness for your own sake. And I thought to myself, did I tell the truth? Was I precise? And I remembered that when I heard people saying that, I thought, them telling about their practice, I thought, oh, gee, my practice is terrible. I'm just full of sloth and torpor. I want to run out the door screaming, you know, restlessness. There Millions of thoughts are going through my mind. And I want that chocolate chip cookie now instead of tomorrow. I heard them smelled it baked, you know, the night before. And I, so I reported the truth and I said, no, these, these hindrances are coming up. So I thought, no, I told the truth. And I looked at the line out, when, out the window. It was a, a substantial line. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to go there. So telling the truth and making, finding out, you know, when you look at these precepts, where can we refine? Probably all of us try to keep the precepts as best as we can as good members of our family society. But there are places we, we really can refine it now, all through our lives. So bringing more attention, more conscious uh, mindfulness to the choices that we make in, in that realm of the precepts 
to refrain from harming others, which we harm our own hearts when we harm others ourselves because when we uh, participate or we act out killing in any way, taking of life, even insects in any way, we're perpetuating ill will, aversion that we can't even see in our own minds. We're also perpetuating delusion because can't see it. When we uh, take what has not been offered, we're habituating attachment and clinging. When we speak untruthfully, we're habituating all aversion, delusion, attachment, because speech has to do with all of these things. When we, uh, when we don't refrain from sexual misconduct, we hurt others and ourselves indirectly, too. When we can refrain from the use of drugs that make the mind unclear, in the time of the Buddha this was mostly about alcohol, it increases delusion, unclarity, which feeds into attachment and aversion. So by refraining, we're developing the opposites. We're developing generosity. We're developing wisdom. We're developing compassion and love, inner beauty. So these precepts, I hope you know that you're not asked to follow blindly, but to actively explore the value of them in your world. Because by relinquishing, it's this great act of letting go. It's not just about doing good, but it's the other side of it is letting go when we see it come up in our minds. We want to develop this skill set as uh, something that is deeply embedded in our habit patterns because, of course, we see the opposite habit patterns coming up. So it's said that the causes, the proximate causes for this sila, which is this careful attention, virtuous uh, conduct to come up in our minds, are known as the two guardians of the world. And when I first heard of this, I thought, oh, wow, I can pray to these two guardians of, of the world and I can ask for help. But I come to find out that they're not anywhere outside of me. They're in my own heart, these two guardians. They're this kind of inner conscience that we develop more and more as we pay careful attention, this inner conscience. In the ancient language of Pali, these guardians are called, uh, and you don't have to remember this, Hiri, H-I-R-I, and Otapa, O-T-T-A-P-P-A. Some people are interested, so... Hiri and Otapa, these are the two guardians of the world, the inner guardians. And you can imagine why. Because when we know of them, when we really hear them, feel them, uh, that inner conscience, then we don't act out with words or behavior that hurt others. And before it hurts others, it's already hurt our inner stream, our karmic stream. So many fine translators like to use these terms, just these terms, Hiri and Otapa, because they actually mean so much more than their translation into English. And when I say what they are in English, you'll understand why. In English, Hiri is translated as moral shame. So in our 
psychological world, Western world, uh, this brings up all kinds of ways that make us not feel good about ourselves. But in the Dhamma, this definition is associated with something that we should be kind of hold our heads up high about. This is something we should take um, a wholesome pride in, this kind of uh, hiri. Because what it means is that we have this inner sense that our words or behavior don't feel right. I'm sure if you've all come across situations in the world where you might have been just about to say something or just about to do something and something inside you says, this doesn't feel right, better not say that or do that. It's an intuitive sense that this is hurtful to myself, that if I keep doing this in this way, it's going to just deepen that habit pattern. If we're a little bit, even a little bit wise, that's what we feel, that we just don't want to deepen that pattern where it it can just come out willy-nilly from our mouths or from our actions. It's a feeling of shrinking away from, shrinking away from that. Wherever that's coming up in the mind, we shrink away from it so that we're not giving it energy to act it out, say it out loud in any way. So this hiri is better translated as respect for oneself, not moral shame, but respect for oneself. This is a better translation of this word. It's respect for one's own integrity, one's own dignity, a deep care for our long-term well-being, for our long-term welfare in the world, because we know if we, we keep doing this or saying this, it's not going to be a good thing for ourselves, because we feel will feel the ramifications of it in the world. One of our um, monastic teachers, Sayadaw Upandita, mentioned some examples recently that came from the commentaries on the words of the Buddha. And he said, this is what hiri feels like when you experience it. It feels like you're coming towards a pile of dung and you're about to step on it and your foot almost goes out to it, and you take it back, and you say, no, I'm not going to step there, because it, it's, it's just going to stink your life up, basically, stink your world up. So we don't do that. It's that feeling of shrinking away or of taking back. There was one time in my practice in the forest um, center in Burma, where we all have practiced, is that... It was a period of time when I was having a very difficult uh, time over a few years with an associate of mine, a friend of mine. And um, it was so, so difficult. I felt like it was a long, long multi-karmic residue from something else that just kind of sprang up again in this life. And out of an unchecked habit of mind, I kept thinking about it in my practice. I kept having thoughts of ill will about this person, thoughts of what I could have said, what I should have said, thoughts of being blamed and then blaming back, thoughts of, oh, I can, 
you know, after I get out of this retreat, I'll have just the right words to lash out at her, like, duh, what am I here for? <laughs> so, it, you know, but I saw this clearly in my own mind. And I, I was very, one of the things that the practice does for you is it, it makes you really face those places in your mind where it's so hard to face. So I reported this to the teacher and that it would come up over and over again. And I would have a twinge that I thought was aversion. It was like a twinge and a backing away that I thought was aversion. But I had heard him give the talk on Hiri Otapa. And I said, is this Hiri of Hiri and Otapa? It's not aversion. And he confirmed that it was so that this twinge that I had of kind of backing away was a wholesome quality of the mind. It was a good quality of the mind. It was a quality of the mind that would uh, avoid trouble for myself in terms of putting that uh, habit pattern again and again into the karmic stream and avoiding trouble by saying it, from avoiding trouble by um, acting it out. So it was a deep warning, don't go there. And if you look carefully in your own minds, this is something that's already happening. That conscience is coming up. That good conscience of, don't go there, this is harmful. And so we must pay attention to it. So when I asked him what to do about it, he said to withdraw, he used that word, to withdraw your energy from this pattern. It's like, to yes, to shrink away. That's good. Don't go there. And so every time I, they would come up after that, I would feel that withdrawing, that backing away, like, just like, take those words back. And another thing he said, which was quite shamanistic of him, and it was a little bit surprising because he's such a, traditional and classical teacher of the Dhamma, he said, every time you take a step, let all those words just go in the ground. And until now, it's a a very important uh, way of practicing for me. So it's a deep warning, don't go there. Withdraw your energy from there. It's that inner guardian of Hiri that's, uh, that's speaking to us. Respect for oneself. This cause for inner beauty. And the other one is called otapa. Otapa. Actually, this is in English translated as moral dread or moral fear. But actually, this is a good kind of fear. It's the fear of wrongdoing because we're going to hurt others. And this is actually uh, respect for others. It's a good way to translate it. Because we don't want to hurt others. We respect them. We have compassion for them. It's a healthy form of fear. fear That our our speech or behavior could have harmful effects. So we try to catch it before it goes out there. It's a wise sense of knowing the communal standards of the people we live among. The people that we respect the people that we we value their respect for us. And we don't want to do anything that would somehow wipe that out of our lives. 
a community is as fragile as one person's unconscious or unmindful uh, speech and behavior that causes harm in any small way, then people as a whole don't feel safe in a community. It's why that we, um, we really, the three of us are very um, strong and we, re- very, we very much value the communal standards of us being here together. We value your being in a way that respects others so that others can feel a sense of safety and so others can really open in that sense of safety. If people feel that something's awry or that people are not respecting the communal standards here, the safety is not there. And sometimes for individuals who are especially vulnerable, there's a closing down. The armor goes back on instead of melting away. So this otapa is respect for others. What we might fear is that members of our community would lose their respect for us. This is a wholesome kind of fear. So I remember once that... um, I was trying to remember a story because stories speak, give much better examples than words sometimes, a theory. I remembered a time when I was growing up and I lived in the Bay Area, California, and um, I was doing this uh, Christmas tree sale during that time of the year, December. And uh, a friend of mine I knew very well, a member of the football team, and a very good man. Well, um, we collected all the sales from that day and that, you know, afternoon and evening. And then, you know, we were in our 17, 18-year-old, and, you know, people are, um, there's a lot of shenanigans that goes on during that age and kind of testing the waters. I can understand that in retrospect. And so... um, this good man, friend of mine, he took the cash box and he said, I'm taking this home and I know you're not going to tell anybody. And um, so I, I lived in a kind of a dangerous part of the, uh, of the community I, in, in that part of the Bay Area. And he took out his gun and he put it on the table. And I said, you're not taking that. And he said, why not? You're not going to tell anybody. And I said, I might not, but, you know, people will know somehow. And people won't trust you. And they won't respect you. And now you have a lot of respect in the community. This is going to change your life. You're not taking that. Put that box back. And so he said, okay. And he put the box back. (laughs) Um, So I knew... I knew he would do that, or deep inside I knew he would do that. And he, so he really had that inner uh, guardian. You know, I just remind, I wasn't his guardian, I just reminded him that people aren't going to respect you. People aren't going to trust you. And this is going to be, you know, beginning of a real difficult time in your life. So we might fear we could be even punished if we commit crimes against our community, this is a healthy fear that can come up, not just that we will lose the respect of others. So 
this hiri and otapa, uh, respecting ourselves and respecting others, we have a signal when this comes. Manindra, one of our um, early teachers, a beautiful man from India, uh, used to tell me all the time, when I see it coming, it's like a signal. Because I asked him once, do you have these um, experiences come up? Do you have aversion there or ill will or judging there, judging mind there or wanting mind uh, coming up? He said, oh yes, it comes up, but there's a signal. And when the signal comes, then I, I know it's there. Not all the time, but some of the times, most of the time, I know it's there. And you feel it. You feel kind of like that shrinking away. And in Otapa, the, um, this, the example that's given is like there's a flame of hot fire. And it's like you can feel it already, so you pull your hand away. You take it away from the fire. So you, you feel that inside. It's a kind of pulling back from something you know that's going to cause others harm or cause yourself harm. This is from Goethe, a beautiful uh, expression of this. He says, he said, I have come to the frightening conclusion that I am the decisive element. It is my personal approach that creates the climate. It is my daily mood that makes the weather. I possess tremendous power to make a life miserable or joyous. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or humor, hurt or heal. In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a person humanized or dehumanized. I'll put this on the board so you don't have to write me a note. It'll be on the board tomorrow. <laughs> so practicing the precepts is, is really a gift that we give ourselves because we feel calm inside when we relinquish what we were going to do that was going to be harmful. We feel calm inside when we know that we're not going to hurt ourselves or hurt others. It's a gift of fearlessness to others because people won't fear us. They feel that when they come in to our company, uh, in our environment, people can really relax. They can they can be who they are. They can see who they really are. So it's supported by mindfulness, this hiriotapa, because we really need to be attentive to our inner world, to our habit patterns. These can activate, when we see what our habit patterns are, it can activate this refraining, this relinquishing, which is what the precepts are all about. Again, not just about doing good, which is wonderful and good thing to cultivate, but it's also about relinquishing uh, not harming, uh, rel- relinquishing harming in the world. So reflect upon the times that you have seen this come up in your life, when you have wanted to be the last word, have the last word in an argument and say, there, you know, kind of as a touche or the, the thing that gives the little bite across or that 
kind of way that we make a dig to someone in the very last thing we say. This is a way that I've done my best, as Steve may not attest to, to (laughs) put the Dharma duct tape on my mouth and say, okay, I'm just not going to say anything now. I don't need to have the last word. I'm still trying. (laughs) A friend of mine told me that she had an interaction with her sibling where she felt really hurt and betrayed, wanted to lash out, to strike out with blame and with hurtful words. But she decided to wait because she saw that there was no hero tapa in her mind, that the guardians weren't really uh, uh, accessible to her at that time. She wanted to be able to rely on some inner wisdom to be able to say something um, in response to the situation they were in. She wanted to feel more certain that she wouldn't hurt the other, that she wouldn't hurt herself. So she waited, and then she felt, when she felt really peaceful, calm, and clear, then she responded. She made a time when they could speak with one another. And it was much more successful that way, she said, that she felt that she could um, respect herself because she wouldn't have respected herself if she lashed out at her sister. And she wouldn't be showing respect for her sister if she did that. Because really she could see that her sister was under a lot of pain. So the Buddha said that this magnificent chariot of the Eightfold Noble Path has Hiri and Otapa as its backrest. If you have this backrest, you will have something to rely on, to depend upon, something on which you can sit comfortably as you travel toward your aspiration. If these qualities are weak, you will risk losing mindfulness and will face all the dangers that ensue. The dangers of being at the mercy of our unwholesome habit patterns. So these guardians of the world, these inner guardians, are our really happen because of our inner commitment to um, really looking at the precepts and seeing how they val- how much value do they really have in our lives, and maybe if it's weak, where can we put more attention? Where can we develop that inner beauty? Sila, this is a beautiful form of renunciation. It's letting go of places that will hurt us, hurt another. What are we relinquishing? We're relinquishing really in its deepest form greed, hatred, and delusion. When we refrain from acting out in unwholesome ways, speed with speech and behavior. Also, Uh, indirectly it's the cultivation of compassion when there is letting go renunciation there also generosity and goodwill are there so a lot of the other paramis are developed just by developing this parami of sila of living in harmony of virtuous conduct of virtuous speech they're the fertile soil for wisdom to grow because it makes the mind quiet and still, like that deep forest pool that can become so still that when you go to that pool, you can look into that pool 
and you can see at uh, very deep levels what's really going on. And then eventually to have that pool reflect back uh, who you really are, your true face in the Dharma. When we have this strength of Hiri and Otapa, it's like the inner mother and father that's always been there waiting to mature, waiting to speak to us, waiting to give us the signal, signals that will help us get through life. So we're not depending on something outwardly so much. It's this inviolable protection that we have. It's a feeling of living in this uh, protective atmosphere that's really shining from within. So just to talk about the inner, the benefits, the Buddha said that virtuous conduct has non-remorse as its aim, has non-remorse as its benefit. One who is virtuous comes into a large fortune, and that large fortune is liberation, ultimately. One who is virtuous, his or her fair name is spread. This person enters an assembly without any fear. This person dies with a clarity of mind, dies unconfused, and at the breakup of the body reappears in a happy destiny. I'd like to end with... um, This is a, a kind of a poem that our teacher wrote at that very first long retreat that I went to where I got the teaching on truthfulness, on how can you realize the truth if you can't speak the truth. So after this retreat, which was in 1985, um, he wrote this poem which in, in his language, and it was translated into English. It's about, if you listen carefully, it's about developing dana, generosity, sila, and... Um, developing the mind, also training the mind. Adorned with the garland of giving, feeling joy and dignity with kind living, birth only in states of clarity, great beauty results with integrity. Adorned with the fragrance of virtuous activity, for others a care and sensitivity, birth only in states of contentment, a heart removed of the thorns of resentment, adorned with the sweetness of tranquility, soft rapture from a life of simplicity, birth only in states of calm peace, mental turbulence and distraction all cease, adorned with the brightness of clear insight, The true nature of the world is seen right. Birth only in states of ease and happiness. A mind of wise discernment and openness. The three poisons of wrong view, conceit and craving no longer hinder or cause inner tightening. Vow deeply to develop the true way. Adorned in the heart, then freedom will lay. So let's sit for just a few moments.
Let the words dissolve. So we have a little more than a half an hour for walking and getting a refreshment and cool off a little bit before coming into the last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.